0: We're going to go into the second week of um, capacity. Now, before I start talking about this today, I, w- I want you to, again, relax, because we're going to start talking about something that impacts um, a lot of people, and in our, our country is going uh, into a season that is kind of uncharted territory as far as this uh, this issue and we're, we're setting records and, and, um, and I just want you to know when, when I, when, when we have this conversation today that I'm not coming at it from somebody who's done it perfect, that, that Beth and I, uh, know what it's like to struggle and and try to figure it out and all those things and, and then, and then manage it after you think you figured it out. How many know after you figure it out, you still got to manage it. Because as soon as you think you like, I don't know to do that anymore, you're back in the same place you started. So um we're gonna lean in, we're we're talking about finances, and we're gonna lean into the to the the conversation about debt today. Look at your neighbor and say, It's gonna be alright. Tell him, it's gonna be alright. It's gonna be alright. I'm gonna read a portion of scripture and and I'll kind of explain why I'm using this portion of scripture after we read it. Um I just want to let you know up front, when Jesus tells this story, he is talking about forgiveness. He's not talking about consumer debt. The the basis of this story is to talk about forgiveness, but it does paint a picture of what a culture of debt looks like. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 21. Why don't you stand to your feet for just a minute in honor of reading the word and we will, um, and then we'll be seated. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So a servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until they... he should pay the debt when his fellow servants saw what had taken place. they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, "You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and you should not have had mercy and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you, and in anger, his master delivered him into the jailers until he should pay all his debt. so also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray that it would change us. Lord, help us to live a full life. Help us to live in your grace. Help us to live in your abundance today, Lord, and give us the principles to do that. We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I Started looking at this. Um, there, there are a lot of scriptures um, that are that are have to deal with debt in 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 the Bible, especially in the Old Testament and Proverbs. Uh, I wanted to paint the picture this morning. Jesus is telling a story to specifically Peter and more broadly the disciples, and then ends up telling it to us Ma- in Matthew 18. Jesus tells the disciples, hey, if somebody sins against you, this is what you should do about it. You should go to them and confront them. And if, and if they don't respond, take somebody with you. And and if they don't respond, take the church. And, and it was like this long drawn out thing about like, if somebody did something against you, how you go about forgiving them, how you go about restoring them, all these things. And then Peter has a response. Hey man, how many times am I supposed to do that? Hey, that's a lot. And Jesus and Peter says, like seven. And Jesus says, Peter, 70 times seven. Like, just keep doing it. It's how we stay whole as a church. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Somebody, do you hear that? Somebody sins against you. If you, if somebody, if somebody did something against you, he says, you initiate the forgiveness side. You initiate them coming back. You initiate it. And Peter's going, oh man, that's a lot. 70 times seven. So he tells a story. Now, the the basis of this story is, I will admit, not about how you handle your finances. But the reason I picked it is because it paints the culture of debt. It paints the culture of being buried in debt. And what it does to us, what it does to our families, what it does to our future And, 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 and the Bible is very clear that it's not God's best for us. Say amen. It's not God's best for us. Now, some will argue debt is sin. I don't believe that. So now everybody can be like, okay. No, I mean, we'll get to your sin, but it's just not that. All right. Um, There's a whole bunch of things happening in the US economy right now. And one of the shocking things that's happening in the economy in the US right now is the amount of credit card debt. According to MoneyGeek, now you may be saying, well, Pastor Chris, that thing's been skyrocketing forever. But we just passed a milestone. According to MoneyGeek.com, U.S. credit card debt rose in the second quarter of 2023 to 1.03 trillion dollars. That's not that's not the state debt. That's that's our debt. That's not your mortgage. That's not your car payment. That's not Netflix. Well, it might be if you put that on your credit card. Here's the shocking part: it's a four point six percent increase from the first quarter of 2023. If inflation peaked at 9.1% in 2022 and ended the year at 6.5%. So what we see is we saw 2022 inflation went like this. Everything got more expensive and the result of everything getting more expensive is US credit card debt skyrocketed to record levels. So what I want to paint a picture of this morning is that the U.S. is living without margins. Hamburger went up and we had no margins. Hamburger did go up, didn't it? Yeah, I think it did. Hamburger went up. We're getting less of it. Everything went up. Did anybody realize after COVID, before COVID, you could eat a meal out to eat with your family? If you had a family of four, you could go out to eat. Now, some of you with little kids are still like, this kid is eating formula. I ain't giving him a $15 meal in a year and a half. You could go out and eat for maybe 40 bucks as a family, 40, $50 before COVID. Has anybody went into a restaurant with four people? It's $70. So what happens is, so what happens is we are... Um, Everything went up. I know you couldn't control that. I couldn't control that. But what I can control is the margins I have. The margins I have to deal with it when it goes up. And so what we see from these reports is that in the U.S., we are living with no margins. I told you last week, I read a report that said... Um, higher income earners, 100 grand and up, there's a higher, the highest percentage ever of people making more than $100,000 a year living paycheck to paycheck. And some of you are sitting in the room like, man, if I made $100,000 a year, well, the issue is if you made $100,000 a year with the same mentality you have now, likelihood is we'd have the same amount of credit card debt or more. And so this is an unsustainable trajectory that the U.S. is on with consumer debt. There's a couple other statistics that are really bothering as far as the way we internally deal with debt in our households and especially young people coming up. Listen to this. On June 27, 2023, in a hill, uh, the hill... um, Blog online, Daniel DeVice wrote this. One third of Americans with credit card debt say no one else knows how much they owe, according to a new report. A third of Americans, 30% of Americans say no one else knows how much I owe on a credit card. The nation's credit card balance hovers around $1 trillion and in interest rates routinely top 20%. A typical American household now carries around $10,000 in credit card debt. By one recent WalletHub estimate, a rising share of cardholders carry a balance from one month to the next. And many consumers, it seems, would rather not share those facts. Two in five Americans think credit card debt is embarrassing. So that's 40% of Americans would, would, if you ask, yeah, it's embarrassing, the credit card thing. According to a new consumer credit report from Nerdwallet, the personal finance side, credit card debt carries a growing stigma, polls suggest. An earlier Nerdwallet survey found that one third of married Americans with credit card debt haven't told their spouse what they owe. Is that like, haha, that's funny, or oh? A third of married married Americans with credit card that haven't told their spouse what they owe. In a new report, two-fifths, 40% of respondents said it would be all right to have a credit card a partner doesn't know about. As interest rates fell to historic lows in recent years, homeowners refinanced mortgages with interest rates of three or four percent, or some of you got two percent—a transaction that con- conferred bragging rights. Do so you remember those days where you'd be sitting in the restaurant and, and somebody say, "Man, I just refinanced a refinance mortgage," and you say, "What did you get? I got, I got, I got three point one percent. Oh boy, I got two point nine. I had two point nine last week. Yeah. Who was your banker? No, no, you you can't use him. It's my banker." We used to brag about it. Nobody's bragging about the interest rate now, are they? Except, hey, what'd you get? I got 7.8. Really? I'm at 8.1. <laughs> Have you ever sat down at a dinner table with a friend and went, hey, what's your credit card balance, bro? <laughs> what's your, what? I'm at 24%. We're killing it over here. Hmm. By contrast, a consumer who takes on a new credit card in 2023 faces an average interest rate of 24%. That's almost a quarter. According to LendingTree, nothing to brag about. There can be shame tied to that, said Melissa uh, Lam- Lamberna, a credit card expert at NerdWallet. Multiple reports show American consumers sinking even deeper into credit card debt. Rising card balances aren't just about impulse buys. A survey by U.S. News and World Report found consumers are using cards for unexpected expenses like medical emergencies and job losses now. This still, this still paints a picture of no margin. The NerdWallet report show, draws us on a survey of 2,078 Adults conducted by the Harris Poll in April and May. The survey's focus is financial secrecy. A poignant topic in an area of rising consumer debt paired with declining savings. More than two in five partnered Americans say they have withheld or lied about financial information to a significant other, the survey found. 40% have either withheld or, or flat out lied. People with partners keep... People with partners keep secrets on pricey purchases, income levels, and credit scores, as well as credit or card debt. Younger Americans are especially likely to keep financial secrets from a partner. The survey found 63% of Gen Z and 58% of millennials said they had lied to or withheld financial details from a significant other. Compared to 44% of Generation X and only 19% of Boomers, you Boomers, man, you're just honest. You're just honest about it. You're like, I'm over my head. <laughs> That's awesome. Gen Z's down here, like, nah, man, I got it. I'm I'm good. I'm good. Matter of fact, I'll buy lunch for everybody. And the Boomers like, well, I'm over. I'm over. I'm over. I'll take the free lunch. You guys need to start listening to boomers. (laughs) Many previous surveys have measured rising societal stress over credit card debt. In a recent survey by WalletHub, a majority of Americans said they had more credit card debt than 12 months earlier. Nearly half said credit card debt stressed them out, and more than a quarter ascribed the debt to to frivolous spending. So 25%, these surveys saying 25% of debt is frivolous. Remember, we're talking about margins. Another poll from Bankrate found that 35% of adults carrying credit card debt from month to month. Of that group, two-fifths said they didn't know how much interest they were paying. This is especially troubling Bankrate reported, given that the average credit card interest rate is at an all-time high. I want to talk to you today. Listen, we've been talking about increased capacity. And so Beth and I have lived on both sides of this equation. We lived on the side of it when we, when we were early married and, and praying credit card money to come in. Like, Lord, we got to make the payment. We got to make the car payment. Lord, we gotta, you got to help us. And he did. He did. He was faithful. He was faithful, right? Yeah. Just making sure I'm going out on a limb here. He's faithful, but can I tell you, it is difficult to fall asleep waiting on God for money. It is. It's faith that I could have been spending on something else. Think about it. Think about it. Uh, Like, I I know my story has changed. Like, I went from, we went, I remember I was holding hands. I remember it being conflict in the house. I remember like, can I just be transparent? She pays all the bills. I, like I'm there. <laughs> but I remember, and, and, and my attitude is a, it is a little more, just, just um, a little more nonchalant about it. I'll just be honest with you. How many of you are nonchalant about it? Raise your hand. This is, no fear, no fear. How many of you are like, I know every penny and um, if that sucker lies to me. Okay, all right. So my wife is that one. I'm the one. I've literally said this before. I can't make any more money tonight so I'm going to sleep. I've literally said that out loud before. I was 25 when I said it. I'm not recommending using that language now. But I remember being there. I remember us spending a lot of faith praying God would supply for things that we were frivolous with. Think about the cycle we put ourselves in. I remember trying to live beyond our means and then spending a lot of prayer time going, Lord, you you said you'd supply my needs according to your riches and glory. And this visa bill has to get paid. And that truck out there, Lord, you gave it to me. I prayed before I went into the dealership and they said, yes. <laughs> and then you spend the next, next five years spending your faith asking him for the payment. When you see this picture that Jesus paints about debt, he's talking about forgiveness. But, it's a, but if you look at it, just what's happening there's a, there's a king who decides to call his, call his debt in. By the way, that's the bank's prerogative. And if you read the fine print, they have the prerogative. Call, he calls the people that owe, owe him money and he says, hey man, time to pay up. The first guy comes to him and listen, he, oh, he is underwater so far. He's, he's down with the Titanic. He is over his head. And the king says, hey, man, I'm not trying to be mean. It's just time to pay up. And and it's it's an impossible amount to pay. And he throws himself down at the floor at the mercy of the king. He's groveling at the king's feet. He's begging for mercy. The king forgives him. Which, by the way, this is a better story than the bank. They won't forgive you. And the bank's not bad. It's just what it is. We signed the contract. So, so the guy gets forgiven and you think all's well that ends well, but then he goes out and there's a guy that owes him money. And next thing you know, he's got his hands around his neck, choking him, choking him. I left out the fact that the King was going to take the guy's wife and kids and him and throw them all into prison. And so you get this picture of begging and imprisonment and and captivity and begging and groveling. And it's just not a good picture. And the common denominator was everybody owed something. Everybody owed something they couldn't pay in the moment. And it was one of those things where you're like, whoa, well, that's not how we do in America. We, We just don't tell anybody but debt has a price. Debt has a price. I, 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 we've lived in spots where debt had a price and it sucked life from us. It sucked emotional energy from us. It sucked it sucked time from us. It sucked prayer from us. It, it's, it, it was consumed our thoughts at times. Like, how are we going to pay this? How are we going to pay this? What are we going to do? How are we going to make it happen? I don't understand, Lord, you got to help me. You got to help me. You got to help me. And then you wrap kids up into the story and they start hearing the way you talk about it. We'll read scripture and say, God wants to bless us. And then we come over here and we say, oh God, you gotta help me pay the bill. And it ends up consuming families. It ends up, it ends up being a price that we pay. So I wanna say this up front: I do not believe debt is a sin. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't going to hell for the credit card. Now, I don't know what you charged on it. That could send you to hell. (laughs) But just debt in general, I don't think is a sin. But the Bible cautions it as high a caution as you can put on it. Proverbs 22, 7 says this. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave of the lender. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? The borrower is slave to the lender. I believe, as followers of Christ, that he has set us free from our sin, right? I believe, as a follower of Christ, he has set us free from our sin, right? Okay, somebody's like, ah, oh, I don't know. He set us free. So the word teaches us that he who the son has set free is free. Indeed, And Paul would teach, hey, if you've been set free, don't go back to those things and be enslaved by them. So think about this. What we do as American Christians is God sets us free from our sin. He wipes our guilt away only for us to imprison ourselves with consumer debt. And it paralyzes us. It paralyzes us. Because instead of being able to be suppliers, we are in a perpetual receivership. Instead of us going, we got enough margin to be generous, we spend all of our prayers on, Lord, help us pay our bills. And so we become in this perpetual consumer loop where we buy it, we pay for it, we pay more than it's worth. Come on, does everybody know we're paying more than it's worth? Your TV is not worth the extra 24%. I can tell you that right now. It will get thrown in the trash heap by the time we pay it off because the new one will be out. So we get in this cycle and we just keep doing it. So debt creates unnecessary stress. Debt creates unnecessary stress. In these two men's lives, the debt was called in. The amount of stress and burden that placed on them could have been unnecessary. Debt affects our families. Even if you're not being honest with your spouse or kids, something is off. You can't carry around that weight and it not affect the way you pray, and it not affect the way you treat people. You can't do it. Debt creates conflict.' going to throw everybody in prison, going to choke the guy that owns me, owes me something. And debt never creates confidence. Both of these men, no matter how much they owed, found themselves begging, pleading for forgiveness. I'm going to give you some numbers here. We just read that the average household credit card debt is hovering around $10,000. At 20% interest, if you did a $300 minimum payment, it would take you 50 months to pay that off. 50 months to pay that off. And you'd pay $4,718 in interest. So those meals we ate out, the TV, the everything else, whatever you put on it, now costs not $10,000, but almost $15,000. Let's say you get something worked out with a credit card company and you can't pay as much. $10,000 at 20% with a $200 minimum takes 109 months to pay off at $11,680 in interest. So now the $10,000 amount of stuff you purchase now costs $21,608, and that is not good. They're trying to smoke me out this morning. So, what I need you to understand is this is not God's will for you. Look at your neighbor and say, That's not God's will for me. Come on, be confident. That's not God's will for me. Because God's will for his people is for us to be the lenders, not the borrowers. We're to be the suppliers, not just the consumers. You say, Chris, how do you know that? Because it says it in the word of God, Deuteronomy 5, 16. And this is the Israelites, but we get the promises through Christ. He didn't promise the Israelites, you're going to be the lenders and not the borrowers. And then Jesus come along and set all of us free only to find us in debt again. Are you following that logic? So he tells the the Israelites of Deuteronomy. He's teaching them. Moses is teaching them in Deuteronomy how How to live. This is what you got to be thinking about. This is how you got to live. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 6. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. He's telling them what kind of financial culture he's going to see. I don't want you indebted to, to other countries, he said. So God's direction to the Israelite created a system that took care of people that found themselves in difficult circumstances but did not allow for perpetual consumer debt. Now listen, here's the crazy part. He did allow borrowing in Israel. He didn't forbid it. Matter of fact, he came up with a system to make sure that people could not get in persistent consumer debt. They couldn't get into it and never get out of it. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, starting in verse one, it says, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. Wouldn't that be awesome? You're like, man, I got two more years. I'm going to rack this thing up. Sounds like student loans. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner, you may exact it, but whatever is yours is with your brother. Your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you. Did you hear what he said? He said, I want to set this up in Israel so there's no poor among you. Don't let people get in perpetual debt. Don't let people sell themselves into slavery. Don't be a slave to creditors. Don't do that. If you only will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this command that I've commanded you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall rule over many nations, but they shall not not rule over you. Listen, I understand here that there are some things that happen in our lives that you can't Predict. Anybody had one of those things happen? That you were just like, dude, I had no idea that was going to take place. The problem is, if we spend everything we have while it's going good, then the unpredictable thing happens. There's nothing left to deal with the unpredictable. Does that make sense? And so what God was setting up was, hey, if you find yourself in this unpredictable place, you can go to your neighbor and you can borrow from your neighbor. I'm not upset with that. He did not say go to your neighbor so you can borrow to get a TV. But he said, I'm setting up a system so we take care of everybody. So I could go to my neighbor and you could loan me, what, can I get $50,000 this week? Okay, so, but here's the deal he would loan me with the knowledge that every seven years the debt would be canceled. So that's not a blank checkbook. Are you starting to follow me? So if every seven years you got to release the debt, then I'm going to limit how much I let you get in debt to me. And then it goes beyond that. Every 50 years is called the year of Jubilee. And what they would sell land But they would sell land to farm and every, and what, so if we were 25 years into this cycle, they would sell the land to you for the cost, for the profit that could be gained over the next 25 years, not perpetual. And then at the end of that, the land would revert. Do you see how the cycle happened? So it kept people from getting in perpetual debt. It kept people from taking advantage of people. Why would you loan me more money that I could pay you back in seven years? You know, you're going to have to forgive it. So it kept the system equalized. So what we have now, even in the church, is unrestricted appetites and unrestricted credit. And what do we get? We get most of our prayers having to do with money and not how to give it away, but how to get it to pay bills. Lord, you got to supply, you got to supply, you got to supply, you got to supply, you got to supply. And it impacts us. So we have to, as a church, learn how to create margins in our lives. Look at your neighbor say, margin. Do you know what margin is? It means you don't spend everything that you have. That's a novel idea, isn't it? If you get $100, you don't spend 100 Do you remember when you were growing up? You um, you get birthday money, right? And then you go into the store, and you're you're like twelve years old, and you got a hundred dollars for your birthday. You didn't want it in one in hundred dollar bill. You didn't want that. You wanted like a hundred one dollar bills. It's that big wad in your pocket, you know. And and what would your dad say to you? Boy, that money's burning a hole in your pocket. And I just think, yeah, it is. And I just couldn't wait to pull it out and show somebody I had it and to spend it on something I wanted. But then you know what I started realizing as a kid and as a young adult? After I got what I wanted, it wasn't as good as what I thought it was going to be. And it's never as good as the credit card bill that comes every month. Because guess what? After you have that TV for about a year, you're just like, I mean, everybody's got one. Everybody's got one. And you still got to change oil on that brand new truck. And it's still going to need fixed. And so the, 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 the fun wears off so fast. And then the bills keep coming. And so he's saying, create margins, create margins, create margins, create margins. Do you know what we have now that we've never had before? Subscriptions. Now, when I was growing up, we had the Sears catalog, but you didn't have to subscribe to that. <laughs> you sent that big old fat catalog and you flipped there like, oh, mom. Christmas is seven months away, but look at that. You could order it and it would be here by Christmas. You had to plan for Christmas back then. Listen, according to CNR research, the average monthly spending, oh, wait, 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 wait. Did you did you know that there was a study done that went out and asked people, how much do you think you have in subscriptions every every month? How much do you think your total subscription cost is every month? And you know what people said? $85. Just off the top of their head, they said, Yeah, we got about 85 got Netflix, got um Amazon. You gotta have Amazon next day free. Um Amazon, and then uh and then I got I gotta have my iCloud because I boy ain't putting enough room on the phone anymore to keep my pictures. Of my loved ones. (laughs) So I got to have iCloud. I got to have all these things. So yeah, yeah. I think about $83. Do you know what it is? Actually, according to CNR research, average monthly spending on subscriptions was actually $219 a month, more than two and a half times what consumers thought they were paying. That does not include your phone bill. Doesn't even include your phone bill. That is Subscriptions dating apps. That is That is music apps. That, I don't have any dating apps. That is, um, <laughs> We've got the credit card bills and the subscriptions. Now listen, can you imagine, think about this church, think about this. I'm, we're trying to create margins. Can you imagine paying interest on a song you listened to last month Can you imagine paying interest on a movie you watched last month? We've got to get smart about this. We've got to start thinking about what am I, what am I charging? What am I paying interest on? I'm paying interest on entertainment and food and I'm doing all these things and I'm spending my money, spending my money. And then when something hits, there's no margin. I'm just trying to, God, you got to give me more, you got to give me more, you got to give me more. The problem is, God said he would supply to people who had margins and could plant. Now, I'm not saying he won't be faithful to get you out of a ditch. But I saw a meme the other day with a farmer down in a ditch pulling a sheep out. And a sheep got up out of the ditch and it ran 50 yards and jumped right back in the same ditch. And I told you last week, the church the church has to turn this around. Of all people, we claim that he is our provider, that he is the one we follow. He's our Lord and Savior, and he tells us how to do it. Create margins in your life so that you can take advantage of opportunities I put in your life. And when we do that, we start thinking different. We start seeing different things. When I'm not so concerned about the credit card bill, I can look up and see an opportunity that's in front of me, listen to me. You will never create real wealth in your life paying 24% on credit card bills. The two things are incongruent. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So we gotta do some practical things. We gotta budget. I should probably just end there. Come on, you gotta know where it's going. Listen, I'm not I'm not saying be an idiot about this. I'm not I'm not saying like you got a frosty from Wendy's with that burger. We talked about this. No frosty. You're looking like it's a dollar, baby. I don't know. I even bought the keychain. I couldn't, I'm not saying being an idiot about it, but you have to know where it's going. You have to have a plan. If 40% of millennials are lying to each other or not telling each other who's spending the money, how would you ever get out of debt? How would you ever come to a plan? How would you ever sit down with each other and say, Hey, listen, I need you to know this is what I'm like. We got to come together. We got to know you got to have a plan. If you're young in here right now and you are not talking about it, that is a disaster waiting to happen. If, listen, I'm not, being, I'm not being mean. I'm just warning you as your pastor. If you're, if, you're not tell, if you're keeping secrets about money right now, it's not going to lead to wealth. You'll never get rich keeping secrets about money. It'll never happen. How can God bless deception? How can he bless us lying about something? He can't. Sit down. If you, if you have a spouse, sit down with them. Bring your kids in on the conversation. Now, if they're two, it's just going to be a little... But if you've got teenagers... We started bringing our teenagers in saying, hey, this is how you budget. This is how you think about it. This is what, we. it wasn't our idea. We got it from a good set of friends of ours. Like, hey, listen, this is how much we would spend on you for your school supplies. And we're going to give you the money and let you buy your school supplies. But if you go into Walmart and buy a Nerf gun, you're not getting shoes. (laughs) So we started walking them through it, teach them budgeting. Start small with your debt and end big. This is a Dave Ramsey deal. Pick the smallest credit card to pay off. Pick the smallest bill you have in your house that you can pay off, and you knuckle down and eat Vienna sausages until it's gone. Oh, they could be expensive now. I don't know what's going on. But you knuckle down until that thing's paid off, and you make it a celebration. You get two cans of Vienna sausages that night, and you just celebrate, put a candle in one of them, and you just make it a party. And then listen, this is not rocket science. Then you take that money that you were spending and you don't buy a TV. You take that and put it on the next one and then you pay it off and then you maybe move up the pot potted meat and you go, yeah! And then you take that one and you go to the next one and you go to the next one and there are two people sitting in this room right now that did it. She didn't eat potted meat, I can tell you that. I grew up on that stuff. I was like, give me a Ritz cracker and we'll go, we'll have a party. (laughs) You got to start small and end big. Young people, listen to me. You have to stop coveting and comparing yourself. Stop it. Oh, let me, let me give you one really practical thing. Your parents have more money than you. That's, that's not a joke. Beth and I got in that trap because our parents had more money than us. We're, tw- we're in our early 20s trying to live like people in their 50s who've had jobs for 30 years and have, and have paid their house off and, and got they know how to do a budget and they know how to have margins and we're out here like we're going to dinner with them and we're going to charge it on the credit card. Don't live beyond your means because people you hang out with have more money than you. It is not worth it. And by the way, if you're hanging out with other younger people that seem to have more money than you, they may have more credit card debt than you do. Discipline is living within your means, not someone else's. So get a hold of it. Stop coveting. Stop comparing. Make it a family decision. There needs to be a reason to cut back. It's honoring God to live within margins as we control our appetites. Husbands, listen to me right now. This is our job to lead the home, to step into these difficult situations. Admit where we were at fault. Admit where we were wrong. Admit if we've kept secrets. She went with me when I got the boat. I didn't I didn't hide it. Admit all these things. and um, And then sit down and say, from this day forward, we're going to do this well. And God's going to bless us because we're leaning into him on this. Because we don't want to just create margins. We want to step into God's purpose for our life. Do you know how beneficial that could be with your kids as teenagers to hear you as parents going, hey, listen, man, we're going to get a hold of this thing and you're going to benefit from it. Our family's going to benefit from it. Your mom and I are not going to be as as anxious about money. God is going to bless us because we're going to get a a hold of this thing. And your kids may not understand it at 14 years old, why they can't have the new Jordans. But guess what? When they're 30, they're going to say, thanks for teaching me. Thanks for teaching me. Give them the reason. We want to honor God. We want to be providers. We want to be providers, not consumers. Stand to your feet. Listen. This is always one of those conversations. Everybody's looking around the room, like, "Oh man." Listen. I got a lot of compassion for people who are going through difficult things. If you've gotten yourself over your head in these things, there's a, there's a lot of professional help you can get in this church. Not just a preacher, but there are people that know what they're doing, do it for a living, that can help you. We've run the Dave Ramsey. It works. It really works. It really works. The truth of the matter is, we as a church have to get a control of our appetites. We have, to, we have to be disciplined. And we have to learn what it means to live within our means so that God can so that we can have a margin, an abundance to sow into the things that God wants us to do. And by the way, and by the way, I'm also the preacher that believes you should be able to enjoy a little bit of it. Yeah, you should be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But I want you paying for it now. If I'm gonna enjoy it, I'm paying for it today. I've got the money. And this is not going to cause me one more bit of anxiousness. By the way, retail therapy that makes you depressed later is not retail therapy. It's like drinking poison. So we got to get control of this thing because God didn't set the church up to be beggars. He set us up to be lenders. He set us up to be providers. And it is still possible in your life. So can I pray that over you this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word, Lord, deals with us on these things. And we thank you that you have grace for us. Lord, you haven't condemned us because we're bad with money. But Lord, you're coming along and you're encouraging us. You're making a way. Lord, you're even supplying. When we're frivolous, you're supplying. And so, Lord, we ask you. We ask you to give us the strength. Lord, give us the strength to have the conversations that are difficult. Give us the strength to restrict our spending. Give us the strength to, to, to rein in our appetites. Give us the strength to do it for the kingdom and to do it to honor you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Come on, could you give him honor and praise this morning? He's good. Amen. Hey listen, start start today. Go home and eat some potted meat. Make it a thing.